If you're my friend on Facebook, you know that we had an exciting day yesterday. And amen, amen. Uh, and so, you know, um, we uh, had a rattlesnake on the back porch in the grill cover. And uh, Carrie and I decided this morning that uh, we wanted to dedicate a song to Ned. Did you ever know that you're my hero? <laughs> we were... Uh, Ned had just stopped by and brought us some wood and I talked to him in the front yard and I had a load of wood in my arms and I'm tapping on the back door. Carrie, let me in. Because I want to put some of the fire. Carrie, let me in. And I thought I heard some water running. She didn't open the door. So I shift the wood and I open the door. Still holding wood in my hands. Get it barely open. And where's your mama? Well, she's back in the back bedroom. Well, that sounds like coming from in here. And I turned around, I said, oh, the gas in the grill is leaking. So I went to look, and the snake moved, and I, I felt a movement of the spirit. <laughs> but uh, I went inside, and I thought, okay. And I went, oh, I just returned my borrowed shovel. That's all I have nothing to do. It's like Ned's just down the road. Let me call Ned. And so we called Ned, and he came to our rescue. So, you know, it was uh, an exciting morning, to say the least. I had faith, which goes with my sermon. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I, can you remember the last time that you stepped out on faith? And I don't mean just religious faith even. I, I mean faith in general, faith in something. Everyone lives with faith, whether we know it or not. Um, small children have their faith in their parents to care for them and protect them. They believe that it's going to happen, that, you know, the parents are going to take care of them. The grandparents are going to take care of them. We have faith in our daily lives. There was a Houston pastor named John Bassagno who put it this way. He said, faith is the heart of life. You go to a doctor whose name you can't pronounce. He gives you a prescription you cannot read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never seen, and he gives you medication you do not understand, but yet you take it. That's living by faith. We put faith in everything. We have faith when we flip on the light switch, that the light's going to come on. We have faith that when we turn the key in the car or push the button today, this is an old sermon, obviously. You push the button today, the car's going to come on. When we mail a letter, we have faith that it's going to get there. When I answer the phone, the house phone, when I answer the house phone, I have faith that I'm going to be able to talk to the person on the other side. Faith is a part of our daily lives. It's, it's something that shapes us and moves us. No matter what your belief system is, faith is something that you have. But faith in the life of a believer is the cornerstone on which we find the strength to make it through this world. Without faith, many of us would crumble. There have been times in my life that without faith, I would not know how to go on. Now this morning, I want to look at some characteristics of a faith that pleases God. Uh, originally, I was going to call this uh, faith that makes God proud, but I didn't like the word proud. Um, I don't want to put a haughty spirit on God, so it's faith that pleases God this morning. In Hebrews, the writer is writing to deal with a problem that has developed in church bodies that have primarily Jewish believers. The believers have found themselves becoming weary in living the Christian life. They find themselves thinking Jesus hasn't returned, um, the relatives are making a strong case for the futility of what they believe. You know, come back, do what you've always done, be part of Judaism, you know, deny this faith that you're, you're talking about. And many are on the verge of abandoning the faith. 
that they found in Jesus to return to those ways. The book of Hebrews itself is a sermon with the overall theme of Jesus is better than Judaism. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we have what we call the Hall of Faith. It's this list of uh, forefathers who walk by faith and a call to preserve or persevere in this world. And in the middle of this chapter, we have our text for this morning, verses 13 through 16. So if you could turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, we'll find there six qualities of a faith that please God. And it says there, these all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they have come from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. When you begin to read this, this, this passage, this text, you see something here about people who live their entire lives without receiving the promises of God. Without receiving that true promise that the end result. They live their lives looking forward to something else. And so how could they do that? What makes their faith so strong that this happens? Well, the first thing we find is that a faith that pleases God is a confident faith. These individuals died believing, but never receiving. Their faith wasn't based on evidence, yet it was filled with confidence. They knew that they were strangers and foreigners. They knew that this world was not their home. Abel had no thoughts of heaven. He had no thoughts of an afterlife, yet he followed as faithfully as possible and brought the best offering that he could. He had no promises. He didn't have a New Testament. He didn't even have an Old Testament. Now, you know, he's, he's three, four chapters in. He's not very far into the Bible. He had nothing to go by. Yet he believed in God's faithfulness and was faithful in return. All of the people there in this chapter had a faith that was confident in God. Not receiving the promises while here does not mean we hope for nothing. How many people do you know who, who look up and they go, well, life just isn't going for me like it is for so-and-so. Maybe God isn't blessing me. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe, maybe God loves them more. Maybe God wants more for them. <sighs> it has nothing to do with it. Things happen. This world spins. God acts and God doesn't act. We made a joke the other night about rain. You know, hey, does God, God rains on the just and the unjust. I always say you have to figure out which one you are. Because God has the providence to do these things. And so when we see this, not receiving the promises of God while here doesn't mean we hope for nothing. Faith, we're told here in Hebrews, is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. A.W. Tozer said, faith is seeing the invisible, not the non-existent. We don't hope in something that's false. We don't hope in something that's make-believe. We hope in a present reality that describes our future. Our faith needs to be like that of the patriarchs, a confident faith in the person and promises of God. That God is faithful. He does what He says He's going to do. And even if I don't see it, my children will see it. 
or my children's children will see it. We see this problem throughout scriptures. Paul was talking to the Thessalonians and you had people coming in. The same day people were coming in saying, well, look, grandma died. She ain't going to get to go to heaven. And Paul said, no, 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 no. We don't want you to be ignorant. He said, those people who have gone asleep, they're not losing out. In fact, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. They're going to be there before we are. They're going to make it. Don't worry about them. They had their faith and their faith is now sight. Is your faith this morning confident enough that you will believe even if you don't receive? Sometimes we pray to God, God, please, 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 please. And sometimes the answer is no. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is where Paul says, I have a thorn in the flesh. I prayed to God three times to take it away. And then I just stopped. Why three? I have no idea. But he said, you know what? God's not going to say yes. He's just going to say no. But that did not shake Paul's faith. It didn't shake what he believed. That's the definition of a confident faith. A faith that believes even if you don't receive. That's the first one. A second one is a faith that pleases God is an acknowledging faith. It said they confessed they were foreigners and temporary residents of this world. They acknowledged they didn't belong here. One of the issues we have today is that we get too comfortable in this world. This world somehow becomes our home and we forget that our home isn't here. Our home is there. Our home is something completely different. And so we look at this world and we start going, oh, um, well, you know, I've got to be comfortable. Well, the, the fact of the matter is our citizenship and our home is otherworldly. It's somewhere else. There needs to be a realization on our part that faith in Christ makes us otherworldly. Peter reminds us of the same thing in 1 Peter 2. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Faith in Jesus separates us from the world. And we must acknowledge that we do not belong here. What's that mean? Well, it means, you know, I'm an American. And I'm proud to be an American, but my, my citizenship and my allegiance is first and foremost to the kingdom of God. And anything that America does that goes against the kingdom of God, I cannot stand for. And I cannot say yes just because we're American. I have to say, wait a minute, hold up, this is, goes against my belief. That's why you've seen so many things happen. When you look back in, at Martin Luther King Jr., he was, the, he was the leader of civil disobedience. Why? He said, I do not believe the laws of this land stand with my faith. So therefore, I will stand against the laws of this land, even if it means I go to jail, even if it means I go to prison. Civil disobedience, and that is where it works. We have to find out that we are citizens there first, and we are Americans second. But also in humanity as a whole, if we find ourselves saying, well, everybody I know is going on the same road I'm going on, you might want to check and see if you're on the right road. The truth of the matter is, what does the Bible say? Jesus promised that the road is hard, the gate is narrow, and few find it. If, if you look like the 405 out in California on the road you're on, you might want to look for an exit and figure out where you're going to golf at. Because a superhighway is the one that goes to hell. It's the narrow road that goes to heaven. Faith that pleases God acknowledges our temporary nature here and says we're different, we're separate, we're out. But a faith that pleases God is also a seeking faith. 
He says we're seeking a homeland, a place to truly belong. This, this leads off of what we just said. Are you seeking a homeland? Are you seeking a place to truly belong? Are you, are, are you just comfortable being in this world? Are you comfortable to be as you are? It's ingrained in the souls of men to have a place to call home. No matter who you are or where you're from, all humans desire a home place. We live in a society of people who are seeking a place to call home in this world. Now think of what that means. We all love vacation. Anybody in here not love vacation? We love vacation. But there's something about getting home from vacation, right? There's something about sleeping in your bed. There's something about sitting in your chair. There's something about being in the place that you know is safe and that you know is yours. Home is a place of rest. It's a place where you are what you're meant to be. These individuals were seeking a homeland, a place where they truly belonged. That's supposed to be us. All they knew was that they didn't belong where they were, and they were actively seeking a place to call home. Now, should we be like them? Should we be nomads? Well, maybe. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. If God tells you to pack up and start living in your car, okay. He's cold carrying. I do that before. Y'all laugh, but it's happened to us. We've lived in our car before because God told us, just go. I'm not, I'll show you when you get there. And I went, okay. We didn't do that with kids, but um, you might as well have. More technical difficulties. I move around too much. But we have to seek God. And what he has for us. That's what I mean by seeking God. Not letting the world define our faith and define us. It's so easy to let the world put their labels on Christians. Well, they're judgmental. Well, they're, they, they, they're anti-this, they're anti-that. But we have to live our lives as Jesus would tell us to do. We have to acknowledge our temporary nature and seek ways to bring our homeland to this land. There's a reason why Jesus said... Teach us to pray when they ask him that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, we'll do things here. We're going to do things here like you do it there, God. Our faith should be a seeking faith that seeks ways to prepare ourselves for the day that our faith becomes sight. Which brings us to the fact that a faith that pleases God is a longing faith. This may be the hardest one. They desired a heavenly home. Abraham, it says in verse 10, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Those forefathers didn't know what it was they were longing for. They just knew that it was better. They just knew that it was something more. This, must be the, this may be the most difficult characteristic of all. What does it mean to long for that better place? Um, honestly, on one level, it means we long to die and return to Jesus. Um, that's hard. Most of us aren't there most of the time in our faith. I'll admit it. A dear lady that I absolutely love in a church one time told me, she goes, you know, I'm not really afraid of dying, but I ain't ready to go. And, and, and when, when St. Peter comes to get me, I'm probably going to go, but I'll go kicking and screaming. You know, and we don't like that. You know, there's that country song, right? Uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. You know, it means also that we wish this world was over. It means the dreams and hopes we have for ourselves and our children and our children's children cannot be more important than the desire we have to be with God. 
Most of us don't want to die. But a longing faith is a faith that wants to be with Jesus while we're here in this world as well. That while we walk this earth, we don't walk by ourselves and just expect one day that everything's going to be okay. When we get there face to face, we're reunited. Anybody watch Narnia or read the Narnia books? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the new one that came out. I love that. I, I get pumped up watching that, you know. My favorite line is where the, where the white witch comes up and she starts stubbing things and the lion goes, Rawr! Don't quote the old magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Oh, yeah. That's the Jesus I serve. But the Narnia connection here is those children who would return to the real world, they longed to find their way back to Narnia. They watched for ways back. They understood that that was home and it's where they wanted to be. On another level, though, it means that we long to see the kingdom metrics in this world. That we long to measure success and failure and morality and joy and everything by the measurements of Jesus. We're longing for a better way. Offensive as it may be to some of us, that doesn't happen through politics or government or any worldly system. Our hope isn't in the elephant or the donkey. Our hope is in the lamb. Kingdom ways are infinitely better than anything that this world can offer. And that's as political as you'll ever hear me get in the pulpit. Because kingdom metrics are so much more important than worldly metrics. The faith that we are called to have is a longing faith, desiring that our home in that fair land, but also desiring to live by that land's laws while we wait here. But also a faith that pleases God is an enduring faith. It's one that's there. Abraham could have returned to where he started. Abraham had free will. He could have said, God, I don't like it here. I don't like battling kings. I don't like my having to lie. Or not having to lie. I don't like lying while my wife goes off to be a wife to somebody else. I don't like having to go back into all of that. God, I'm going back home. It was easier back home. People knew me back home. Abel could have taken another way and possibly lived. If he wouldn't have sacrificed to God, his brother wouldn't have got jealous. He might not have been dead. Enoch, you know, there in Genesis, Enoch walked with God and then he was not because God took him. Enoch could have chosen to live his life like everyone else and just died here. Noah could have scoffed at God. <laughs> what do you mean it's going to rain? What's rain? Water's going to come. God, you're out of your mind. Water's going to come from the sky? No, no. You want me to build a boat? I'm in the desert. You know, I lived in the desert for six and a half years. I never saw a rattlesnake in my yard. I moved here for one month. <laughs> God does things. Noah could have said, hey, no. Sarai could have said, no, I'm never going to have a child. Forget it. Abraham, you sleep in the other tent from now on. We're done. Any of these individuals could have turned back from the faith they were walking, but they endured in spite of their setbacks. Their faith endured even when they didn't receive. God doesn't want a faith that trusts Him one moment, but turns and runs away the next. My aside for the morning, you know, God knows you may doubt. Let, let me give you that. Last week in Sunday school with the youth, with my one youth, um, I talked about John chapter 20. Right after Thomas has his doubting episode, my favorite, my absolute favorite, probably non-evangelistic message in the Bible. The writer of John says, Many more things were written that are not contained in this book, 
But these are written that you may keep on believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that you may keep on believing. He knows I'm going to doubt. He knows there are going to be times where the world gets in my head and I'm going to go, oh, is this for real? He understands that. But he wants us to have a faith that endures, that even when we doubt, we don't lose faith. God doesn't ask for a faith that stops when the blessings that flow stop. He wants a faith that trusts him in spite of our present circumstance. But that kind of faith, a faith that pleases God, is going to be a secure faith. Now, this isn't a characteristic that we have. It's a result of the other five. Because of those things, it says God is not ashamed to be called their God. When our faith has these other five characteristics, the six characteristics is given to us by God. Our faith becomes secure. Notice something about these first five characteristics. They're action-oriented. There is something we do. We're confident. We, we have hope. We, we seek. A faith that pleases God, the faith that becomes secure, is a living, active faith. It's never a passive faith. A secure faith is never passive. It's always moving, it's always growing, and it's always sharing with those around them. That is a faith that pleases God. But the la one of the last things here, a faith that pleases God is a rewarded faith. That's so exciting. A faith that pleases God is a rewarded faith. He says, because he is not ashamed, he has prepared a city for them. If that's the love that God has for his bride who has faith in him, I have failed Carrie miserably. Because I ain't even built a shed. God has built a city for those who have that kind of faith. That's what he's built. It's the city that's described in Revelation 21 and a place promised in John 14. A home described in terms so rich and opulent that we sing songs about the richness of heaven. But we have to remember that what makes heaven so exciting isn't the riches. It's not the food. It's not any physical thing described in Scripture. What makes heaven so exciting is the physical presence of the triune God. Because in that place we'll stand face to face with the one who bore our sin. We'll look into the eyes of the one who created the universe and will be wrapped in the arms of the author and perfecter of our faith. This we know now through the reality of our faith, but there we will know as we are known. Maybe this morning you were thinking, huh, heaven's a pretty good fairy tale if only maybe it were true. Well, folks, let me assure you that both heaven and hell are very real places. And the only way you can be assured you'll end up in heaven rather than hell is the name of Jesus. The only way that you can make sure that you are a teabag this morning that rises to meet Him in the air is by accepting Jesus as your Savior and asking Him to wash you of your sins. That's the only way. We are assured in Scripture that there is no other way. In heaven or on the earth or under the earth, by what you must be saved. No other name but Jesus. Now maybe this morning, you've begun to wonder if your faith is lacking in one of those areas. The good news is, where we're weak, He's strong. Where we find that we fall, he'll pick us up. And he always carries us through all of those things. Maybe this morning you have some other need. Maybe you've found yourself struggling in some area that, that, that you need to let go to God. Maybe there's something in, in a work relationship or there's something in, in a home relationship. Maybe there's something that... God has been dealing with you with the sin for a while. 
Maybe there's a hidden sin that you have that, that nobody knows about that you think is hidden in the closet, but I guarantee you God is good at cleaning closets. He's good at finding those things and moving them out. Maybe this morning you have some other need, though. Maybe you want to share to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Or maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're still a teabag that looks like this. The label's still there. It's still clamped down by a staple, and you can't seem to overcome it. You're never going to overcome it by yourself. You're never going to find freedom by yourself, and you'll never get rid of all that stuff within you by yourself. The only way is Jesus. So this morning, if you want to have a faith that pleases God, if you want to have a faith that knocks down walls, if you want to have a faith that opens the doors of heaven, you got to give it to Jesus. Don't let today pass by. We're not guaranteed tomorrow there may be a snake on your back porch when you get home. I'm just saying. I'm just on my back porch. Yes, there was, buddy. I know. You never know what's going to happen. You may get in your car and push the button and it doesn't start. It really starts. You never know. If you made any enemies, you really need to come to this out this morning. I don't know where you are at. Give it to him, though, this morning. Whatever need you have, whatever decision you have to make, let Jesus work. Because he opens every door. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, make every need known this morning. Let no one leave who has a need that needs to be taken care of. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus and for his sake.